Hey there, Dave here. Welcome back to the 44th ever episode of the Iced Coffee Hour. I'm Dave with my two good uh, friends here. We have Graham, we have Jack, and we're ready to talk about iced coffee. But how much is the podcast made? You, you, funny you should ask, it's made $48,379.46. Wow. <laughs> wow. That, that was, was good. so good. Mateo, you got to tell us now yeah. what that breaks down to. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. Thank you so much, Dave. Yeah. Well, Dave, thank you so much for coming out here. Absolutely. I'm, I love coming to LA. I don't get to do it that often. Mm-hmm. So uh, th- this is the first time I've been on an airplane in a year. I, How like, was it? It was actually, I'm, Fully vaccinated now, so uh, wow! That's that's why I'm that's why I'm here. That's incredible. Um, but still, everyone everyone wearing their masks. I, I absolutely would be freaked out mm-hmm. on a plane, even with masks, without the vaccination. So I was super happy to be vaccinated. But everything was fine. People yeah. were wearing masks. Everyone was well maintained. And yeah, we flew to Utah to meet with the Stradman. And that was our first time flying in probably the same about a year and a half. And we were surprised. I mean, they were so stringent on everything. I think they were taking uh, taking temperatures as you were like going through like certain things. I felt safe. Like I felt probably more safe on an airplane than I would like going out to a restaurant. Really? Yeah. I felt nervous Why? that whole time. Really? It was just because, yeah, because you're in a crammed in a small space. Wouldn't I think that you're you're crammed in a small space, but I think getting onto the plane is the riskiest part because actually on the plane, they have like good air circulation. They, mm-hmm. they turn the air over inside the plane way more frequently than a restaurant yeah. does. I think there's way more liability. If, if an airline messes up, they got a lot riding. If a, if a restaurant messes up, it's like you can't really That's prove true. it's the restaurant. I, you know, I don't know. Yeah. Anyway. If you have 300 passengers <laughs> on a plane, all get COVID, you know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The virus. <laughs> well, anyway, thank you so much for coming on today. Could you sure. tell us a little bit about yourself for people who aren't familiar with you? I love the uh, Dumb Money Live. You, you know us from Dumb Money Live. Right. You may know me from Dumb Money Live. That's just... Basically, we started that when we went into lockdown and we started putting our video conference calls that we were just having amongst my two friends, Chris and Jordan, uh, talking about stocks. Mm -hmm. What are we doing in the market? And it kind of turned into a show. But before that, we had an original Dumb Money channel that was all about our startup investing, which we, again, we just decided to start taking cameras with us to meetings, business meetings that most people would you know never see. But we kind of thought of it as the anti-shark tank where... Basically, we were we're entrepreneurs. We're trying mm-hmm. to find the next big startup investment, and it was hopefully kind of an interesting vlog style format to uh, do that. Hmm. Give us some clickbait here. We got to clickbait the title. <laughs> How much money are you investing with? Um, Give us some stats that we could just hit hit them in the beginning. I can tell hook. you that twenty five million dollars is where is that where we are now? We're, we're more than that. Okay, but at the end of the year, we had turned. Around ten million into twenty five million, mm-hmm. so that's that's kind of what, what we're investing with. We're, we're investing our own money. We are not a fund. We have nothing to sell. We had a really hard time with YouTube because we didn't have ads running at all, and mm-hmm. so nobody was able to even find our channel at first. And so as soon as we turned the ads on, people started finding the channel, yeah. which is, you know, took took a little uh, growing pains to learn that. What do you mean by we are investing with twenty five million dollars? It's me and my two buddies. And we have kind of just done this our whole lives. We, well, not our whole lives, but once we sold a software company, we had some money. And instead of going to work for another company, we started to start investing in other startup. All companies. right. So we got to go way back. Tell us from the beginning. All How do you start a, start a software company, sell it? 
and turn 10 million into 25? We got so many <laughs> questions here. There's so there's too many pieces to the puzzle that are missing right now. Well, you just have to subscribe to the Dumb Money <laughs> channel. And that's all you really need to know. That's now, it, so I don't know. There's not a there's not an easy one, two, three started like process. age 10. So when Started I was age 10, when I was yeah. 10 years old, I wanted to be a radio DJ. Okay. And so that's where my kind of fascination with media. And that's the whole reason we're on YouTube now is I just thought now that I'm kind of retired and working for myself, why not have some fun with it and make videos? Mm-hmm. Um, but that's, I, I don't do it for a job. It's just something fun to do. Sure. Um, so when I was 10, I uh, wanted to be a DJ, and that made me want to eventually go to film school. I went to film school. Never actually got to use that in my professional career at all. I went to, um, so I went to NYU, graduated, lived in L.A. for a year. Okay. Um, thought I was going to be in the entertainment industry, decided that wasn't for me. So then I went into uh, basically radio production out of my bedroom, and I was doing voiceovers and production for stations all over the country. Sold that company when I was probably, oh God, what was that, 20 years old mm-hmm. and uh, 22-ish. Uh, went to work for a little little startup company called Broadcast.com right after Yahoo had acquired it from Mark Cuban mm-hmm. for $4 billion. It was a huge, huge thing that put Mark Cuban uh, on the map. Right. Uh, and so from that point, I was working a corporate job at a big startup company, and that was really my business school education. Film school didn't prepare me for the business world, but working at Yahoo during the heyday of, you know, before before Google was a thing, Yahoo was the, you know, the homepage of yeah. the internet. So Before that, it was AOL. Remember that? Mail. AAM? Yeah. yeah. Wait, say that? You could do the voiceover there. <laughs> well, how do... <laughs> ding, ding. You've got mail. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, if that doesn't make you want to hit the like button, I don't know what will. <laughs> Two right, quick yeah. questions. Mm-hmm. How much did you sell that voiceover company for not when you much. were 22? I, that, was, that was not like a life-changing amount of money. It was, uh, it was not much. But it was enough so that I could move out of my parents' back house, which is where I was living at the time. I put foam all up in the closet, and I was doing that out of their back house. Why would they want to buy it? Did they grow it? So we were doing um, production for radio stations, 40 40 or so stations all around the world. I was the voiceover uh, for Power 100 FM in Istanbul, Turkey. What? Nice. Because they liked American-sounding voices, and I was cheap. I was running ads in the back of Radio and Records magazine. Wow. Which is like a print publication and uh yeah I was trying to give us an it. example of like what you would say like welcome back to power 106 where hip-hop lives well so in, in dj voice or yeah. in in uh, like, like announcer voice like, like how you would do it like like new mix 96 is serving up hits that's the that's the <laughs> that's friendly cool. voice and then you have the uh yeah, the guy, uh z100 fm that kind of voice, and then you have. So cool. <laughs> that is so keep going, cool. Keep going, do more. Uh, <laughs> you put me on the spot. So uh, the best mix of the '80s, '90s, and today, the new Mix 1029. I'm Dave Hanson. We got another all request and dedication hour coming right up. You know, you can start puking That's like that. Cool. Yeah. So I, I Jack, you got to learn how. Graham, to do you that. try. You try. Oh, I need. I need a script. I, I can't just freestyle it. That's that's the hard part. Um, I yeah. Hey Graham, I'm calling in to make a request. Welcome to ninety seven point one. I don't. I don't know. I can't do it. Welcome to smooth jazz. Oh my god, eighty seven point six. I I actually got to uh, be yeah. a smooth da- jazz DJ for one night when uh, we were. T- 
again, I was 18 years old. Okay. I was in high school, and uh, the pro- the program director for the radio station that I was working in was moving over to s- turn this smooth jazz station into a top 40 station. And the last night before we pulled the plug on smooth jazz, they put me on the air from like, you know, 8 p.m. until midnight. And mm-hmm. I got to, you know, switch the station over into being a top 40. But I got to do smooth jazz for a night. It was, wow. it was really nice. <laughs> That's very cool. <laughs> I was 18. I, didn't, sh- I didn't know any of the music I was playing. It was great. You should have done the intro in that voice. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back to the 44th. Welcome back to the 44th ever annual. <laughs> That's amazing. That I need a cool. script, too. That is cool. All right. So, yeah. so how did you get a job, like a corporate job, with a film degree? Well, it was a uh, production kind of company. It was Broadcast.com, which was streaming audio stuff onto the internet and later video. And uh, I started, um, what was my first job there? It was, I, was, I was like a producer who was mm-hmm. uh, helping coordinate production, like just getting getting satellite feeds in and putting them into an encoder and sending it out on the internet. And over the course of 10 years in that corporate job, that was my education. And I basically did 10 different jobs. I was a a website manager. I was a a, a director of marketing. I ended up in the marketing department and Mm. that, you know, we, we did so many cool projects that Yahoo never really got credit for things like uh, crash the Super Bowl, that Doritos, uh, Super Bowl promo that for years they would they would let people submit their commercials and then a few would get chosen. That was originally a, a Yahoo promotion that my mm. team did. So interesting. So then, what evolved after that that got you into investing large sums of money? Yeah. So all during that time, I was fascinated with investing, and I was investing the small sums of money that I had and learning. And that was probably you know the the reason that I feel confident in investing now is because I've made so many mistakes when I was younger. So I was, I was doing just crazy YOLO option trades before YOLO was even a thing. Like, because instead of having the capital to actually buy shares of a company, I would be like, Oh, well I can control a hundred shares at a time. If I buy these out of the money options, knowing that I'll probably lose all of my investment, but it was, it was, it was kind of gambling meets um, investing, but What year was this? But first, we have to talk about one of my favorite services out there. Let me guess. Privacy.com? You betcha. I love Privacy.com. I just love it so much. It's just so good. I know, man. Me too. And trust me, you guys will feel the same once you start using it too. Privacy.com is an amazing service that protects your credit cards when you're buying things online. So say goodbye to fraudulent charges, canceling subscriptions, and all of the worries that comes with buying things online. Here's how it works. Instead of handing out my credit card to everyone, I can link my credit card to one of Privacy's virtual cards and then I can pay for things using their card instead of my own. And that's not even the best part. These Privacy cards have massive perks such as being able to pause the card instantly, set transaction limits, and cancel with the click of a button. This protects you from ever having to worry about your card ending up in the wrong hands. Plus, if you go with the Privacy Pro plan, you'll actually get 1% cash back. And this is outside of any of the rewards you receive from your real card. Oh my gosh! 1% cash back? People are actually making money with this plan. The cashback is super nice. So do yourself a favor and protect yourself when you're buying things online with privacy.com. There are so many perks, I literally can't cover them all. You will also receive $5 by clicking the link below or heading to privacy.com ICH. You really don't want to miss out. That is privacy.com ICH. Thank you so much, Privacy, and back to the podcast. That was, well, 
all through college. So that was in the late nineties. Okay. Um, how much were trades back then? It was ridiculous. So back before, so I, I got in on, you know, using online, I used E-Trade. That was my first online brokerage. But I had an old-fashioned broker who was a human being who you would call up and have to make a trade. And I think mm-hmm. it was like $50 every time wow. you wanted to buy or sell a share. And so, and options were even more. So once E-Trade came around with their, was it $30 at the time or something? Yeah. That seemed like, oh my God, I can do $30 trades now. And then they got cut in half. and 15 Now I remember I used Scott Trade back in the day. And I think that was... I think it was between seven and twelve dollars per trade, either way. So didn't matter how much you wanted to buy either. It's like if you wanted to buy one share for fifteen dollars, well, that's going to cost you twelve. That is a lot yeah. to make up. Yeah. Yep. So yeah. and that's and that's another reason that options kind of helped with that because you had a better chance of being able to pay the commission on this thing that would have. I mean, it, it wasn't. It was not a rights. great investment strategy, but I want to hear about your options trading and how that's going because uh, some of the earlier episodes of this oh, podcast. Yeah, the options I love trading to experts. talk about options. I love to talk about You know about what? Jack that. would have been, made more money, though, had he just bought the actual stock instead of the option. I would you have were made more money at if like I was $10. buying call options instead of selling call options. You were writing call options on uncovered positions? No, covered calls. Okay. So I was still, no, no, no. So I was, I was still making money. money. No, I was, yeah. I was still totally like making money, mm-hmm. but I was mostly making it just due to like selling out of the money call options. Yeah. So I was making money on the appreciation and then I would end up losing money most of the time on like the actual options contract. Yeah. That was after my first 20 out of 20 profitable options trades. Those were 1% all each. true options. Yeah, they were, they were very, very conservative, but, uh, yeah, that's but that's what you need to do to learn and get into it. I I love that you're doing it, and that's kind of why we do dumb money is to just get out there and let people start thinking about investing and start thinking about things that they may have never thought about. I think that the whole idea that Robinhood lets you invest for nothing and it makes it easy in a game, I love that. Yeah. I actually kind of agree with you. I think so long as people mm-hmm. are investing, even if they're making mistakes, losing even like a few thousand dollars, at least they're out here doing it, you know? Well, it just know your risk tolerance, know what you're willing to lose, and you should be okay with it. If you mm-hmm. know that I'm, I have set this money aside, this is not what I need to pay my rent, this is not what I need to pay for my life expenses, this is just extra money, go for it. There's not much of a difference, though, between Robin Hood right now and a casino. I'm all for the gamification of it. I love being able to get a free stock and you go and see the confetti and you go and swipe up to buy a stock and it's just like people are clapping for It's you. fantastic. I love it. But there, there's not much of a difference between that and putting your money on I roulette. I disagree. I disagree. Most of my friends that use Robinhood don't do these crazy like short-term out-of-the-money call options. They just buy like common stock. Like they just buy equity. It's Mm-hmm. that's how I see a lot of my friends do it. And I know a lot of people use it as a casino, but I wouldn't say that it's like comparable and to I think a casino. You can, you can do both. Right. You can actually go to a casino and be very conservative in your gambling, right? Yep. You know the odds. You can play a game that you have that 51%. You know, there's, a, there's a smart way to do anything, and then there's the gambling way to do it. And I think mm-hmm. you can use Robin Hood for either. And that's true. I think that yeah. it's fine if you want to have fun sometimes and just make some crazy. I, I bought GameStop. I did. And I knew that I was either going to, it was going to be a huge winner for me, or I would just cut my losses at about, you know, half. And yeah. What did you buy GameStop at? I have no when? idea. I, I bought it yeah. in the first, in the first wave of uh, GameStop's insanity. Um, so it must have been like 50 bucks, $60 I, around there. Okay. 
I do so many things. I n- numbers don't mean anything to okay. me. But basically, I know that I lost about half of what Ooh. I invested. But wow. Was, okay. That was what I was. This was my risk capital that I was, <laughs> you know, not needing the money. And for me, it was. It, I don't really remember, but it was probably okay. around a hundred thousand dollars. And that was just. That was a gamble. So you bought my shares that I sold. Yeah, so literally you just transferred $100,000 to Graham. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> and you're comfortable losing $100,000. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How? I, I, I feel like, even for me, it's like locking in a loss of hundred grand. I immediately think like all the things I could have done with that. But are you also thinking of all the things that you can do with the money that you haven't sold and all of your crazy stocks that have appreciated that you're no. not willing to sell because of uh, tax implications? No, but I feel like losses for me are so much harder than the gain. Like like the gain, I know it's kind of like, all right, it's there. Yeah. I could use it if I need to. But a loss, especially a realized loss, so, that to me is like, all right, that money's gone. It's definitely not coming back. And I could have bought all these other things instead. Yeah, I could have bought some really nice vacations. That's the yeah. one thing that it really gets me because I tr- I'm a little bit cheap when it comes to actually spending money on things, but I am less cheap when it comes to like the opportunity of making money on something. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that would be a really nice $50,000 vacation if you th- if you think of it that way. Yes. But I think of it as a loss that I get to now not have to pay taxes on some of the money that I made in another stock. So it's a $50,000 yeah. loss. Okay. You're great at separating yeah. emotions and investing. You have that, to be. That's a total skill. Yeah. A total skill, yeah. Well, and the, so probably the thing that I learned when I was young was that buying the dip is a thing. I would just get freaked out. It's going down. It's never coming back. I can't afford it. This is too much. I was maybe on margin and forced to sell or just like had paper hands and had to had to lose out on on stocks that had I had I just held on for another you know, year mm-hmm. even, it would have to- totally turned around. I lived through the uh, the uh, dot-com bubble, right? I was working at Yahoo when the stock, they gave me all this, it was mm-hmm. 1999 when I started yeah. working there. That was the year they were added to the S&P 500. And they gave me stock options on the day that I started. And that was the day that they were added to the S&P. So that was a all-time high for them. And they kept going up. They kept going up within... You know, a couple months, I was a paper millionaire, and I, I never made more than like $50,000 a year at that mm-hmm. point in my life. And so that was just insane, but I couldn't sell it. And uh, within the time of the vesting of those options, uh, I was underwater in yep. those options pretty much for the entire wow. 10 years that I was there. They kept giving me more and more, so it it, it worked what's, out. But what's the lockup year? Is it a year? It was one year of vesting for the initial... I think it was a four-year vesting, but for the initial hit, it was a full year before then they started vesting monthly Yikes. or quarterly or something. Yikes. Were you able to yeah. sell after that year? Yeah. But all those were worthless. They were underwater. Yeah. So I had, to, I had to wait for them to give me more options the next year. So it's just call uh, options yeah. that they buy like on your behalf, basically? They're basically issuing. As a bonus or something? Yeah. And then they expired worthless? Is they expired. And, and they were actually 10-year call options, mm-hmm. and they expired worthless 10 years later. That's how bad the dot com bubble was. Yeah. I have no idea. Yeah. That's yeah. that sounds dot com bubble was terrible for some of the stocks. Cisco was a big one. Yeah, Cisco was one of the biggest runners uh, during the dot com bubble, and even today, like twenty years later, 
it still has not recovered to the same price it was back in 2000. I found an old login on my Yahoo where you tracked your portfolio at the time and like half the stocks on there were completely out of business, like zero quote even available, including Yahoo's ticker because they were acquired so many times. Uh, And then the others... Like if I had stayed in so I can't remember which which ones, but if I had stayed in some like tried and true companies, Amazon was one yeah. of the stocks that I held back then that, you know, it it was going down, down, down. And I, I lost money in Am. How do you lose money in Amazon yeah. in the 90s? Like I must be the worst investor ever. But it's it's, you know, you sell yeah. without uh, waiting. Are you worried about another bubble today? Where do you see the warning signs flashing? I wish I had that crystal ball. I, I, I'm worried about it, but I'm not proactively uh, in fear about mm. it. So when we had the big crash in March, last March, yep. which we're already in March again. Yeah, I know. Did this crash co- correspond with the last crash? Almost. Oh, no, wow. not no, no, no. It's like Bitcoin. Yeah, it's going to be like it's a, exactly. A cyclical <laughs> it's an annual thing. thing. Every, yeah, every March fourth. Wow. It's like yeah, the Ides close. of March. Very close, actually. I think the bottom was March twenty third. So we'll see. And the top if was we, like March eleventh, right? I don't know. I don't know the exact top, but no, no, it was late February. I think was the top. Was it? And then it slowly started going down. I was on vacation at the time and lost a million dollars. Wow! Because yeah. I was not paying attention. And uh, that is a huge lesson, but I was able to aggressively get in there and um, I basically was uh, shorting the SPY Mm -hmm. and also just shorting it and also buying puts on it. And I was able to not only get back to break even, but I I doubled my net worth in the past year. Wow. So you were buying puts in March. As As it was falling apart, I was a week late. So I made a video on my uh, my first channel, Hey There, Dave here, all about how I paused the stock market as it was in free fall. I watched so that smart. video. I watched that video back I'm, then. I'm going to yeah, check that yeah. video out right after You would that. like yeah. it because it, it does talk about how I used options to- That's uh, amazing. To put, to put explain that. Ex- explain so cool. how that works for everybody who is not going to watch that video. But first, we have to thank our sponsor, Surfshark VPN. Have you ever been searching how to make your own 20 cent iced coffee only to get Starbucks ads for the next few days? Well, that is because advertisers and people are constantly stealing information online. Surfshark VPN protects your information when you're browsing online and lets you surf the web risk-free. With Surfshark VPN, you can connect to your own private network to access the internet instead of using public networks where your data is at risk. You can also use Surfshark to watch your favorite Netflix shows that aren't available in your country. Since The Office isn't available in the United States, I can actually connect to a VPN in Canada and then watch it with Surfshark. And the best part is you can actually try Surfshark risk-free because they have a 30-day money-back guarantee. And when you use the code ICEDCOFFEE, you'll get an 83% discount and three extra months for free. Visit surfshark.deals slash iced coffee and enter promo code iced coffee for an 83% discount and three extra months for free. And as always, the link is down below in the description. So thank you so much, Surfshark, for sponsoring this episode and back to the podcast. Everybody's going to just watch it. We'll just link to it up here. It's it's cool. Easy. No, um, basically, when the stock, okay, when stock prices are going down, Mm -hmm. if you want to not let and you own that stock. And essentially, I'm, I'm saying the S&P because my portfolio was a pretty good representation of the S&P. I had, you know, Amazon and Apple and Microsoft and, you know, all of those tech companies that were going down at the same rate as the S&P. Um, 
that's kind of what my portfolio is doing. So I used the S&P as a proxy for that. And essentially, as the market was going down, I was buying puts. So that that basically gives me the right, but not the obligation to buy I'm going to get this you're, backwards. You're forcing someone else to buy the shares away from you. Yes. When you sell, when you buy, when you buy, when a, you put. buy a put, you're forcing someone else to buy the shares. And so I... So it's a hedge. Yeah. If you have the Exactly. And, and, but I, but I was basically, it was a covered hedge because my portfolio mm-hmm. was backing it up. So I knew that worst case, I'd break even and, and sit on the sidelines during a recovery but best case, it keeps going down, and I'm going to profit on it continuing to go down. So smart. That is so, I love that. That's so cool. So wait, so you, how much did you make during all of that? Was You said a million dollars? Well, I, lo- I, you I lost, lost a million, a million but million, you made a million. But so I hadn't actually sold anything, so I didn't actually take any losses. Got so, it. So okay. um, I, I was able to, before the market even started correcting, I made a million dollars back. So that was an actual made million once the market mm. did correct. Uh, in all, it was probably a million and a half in, in a month and a half period. Wow. That's incredible. But then last yeah. week, I mean, th- th- over the last, I don't know when this is going to air, but remember when the market was going down so bad for like five days in a yep. row? That, that's a million dollars, right? It's, it's, it's easy. It, easy come, easy go. But you, you just have to yep. kind of be persistent. Now, is that in the $25 million portfolio? No, that is just okay. in my portion of that, which is about ten. Okay, and you know, together it's it's probably we're, we're we don't all disclose every dollar. So I sure. I say that my my main investing portfolio is about ten million. Chris's I think is twenty five, and Jordan doesn't disclose his. So mm-hmm. we're at about thirty five of disclosable. Now, does Jordan money. not disclose his because? It's the lowest or because it's the most? I, it's got to be one or I, the other. That's I, can't, the, <laughs> I can't tell you either one on that. But uh, I jo- think it's the Jordan most. Jordan did well because he was uh, one of the co-founders of the software company that we sold. And I, I oh, came it's in. it's got to be the Chris most. Chris and I came in a little late on that, not as co-founders, but okay. as founding partners. Okay. It's the most. He's the most conservative of okay. our investing. I think I would be too. I think as as I've grown my portfolio, the less risk I want to take. I'm okay taking like throwing ten grand here and there. That I think my ten would be the equivalent of your hundred. Where if I were to lose ten and lock in a loss, it is what it is. So I think maybe you just have a higher threshold. But yeah, but I also yeah. have a higher demand. You know, I I want to make more money. Like that's that's my drive. Yeah. Is to to get to the point. Basically, I got to the point where I knew I would not have to work. When I hit, I think, $2 million. Mm-hmm. And from there, it was like, okay, what do I want to do with my life? What, what can I do? I just want, I want to travel. I want to have fun. I just want to, I, I, I enjoy the market. I enjoy making videos. I, what, what do I like? And mm-hmm. so that's kind of what I have focused on. Is that on the doing. point where you decided you're going to do the financial independence route when you hit two? I mean, I never really thought of it as, you know, following someone's system. But yeah, when I, when I had $2 million in cash or in equities, I was like, yeah, that's good. I, I know that worst case scenario, I can stretch this out and survive. The crazy thing, I'm still just like the same level of worried. All the, it doesn't matter how much money I have. It, I, I feel exactly the same in terms of like, I'm worried like something's going to happen. I'm not going to have enough money to pay for it all the time still. Well, I mean, <laughs> what, what are you invested in now? Are you, are you fully invested in equities? No. Uh, I think eight. Well, if, if we're, are we talking gross? I think like eight and a half uh, real estate. Four and a half, four, six stocks. 
uh, two something cash, and then I don't know six hundred grand and just like random. Yeah, seven hundred and random, but three hundred four GT. Oh yeah, four GT. That's, yeah, yeah. And, and a four GT. That's it's a good that's investment. Kind of your that's, real, that's an. I yeah. would lump that in with real estate. It's a kind it's of like that appreciating it's, asset. If someone offered me, uh, how much three fifty. No, it's not worth it to sell at three fifty four. I would sell it at four. Yeah, you could, I feel like find that's it. Yes, you'd be yeah. in, you'd be immediately I would a buyer get, again. I would get a golf. I would get the golf version of the four G. I'd spend four fifty and get a golf. So I I'd come out fifty grand of my own money by the golf. Well, I'm gonna so have to go out to Vegas and see that yes. vehicle. So next, hey, next you time you buy I'm it, there. you could buy it. No, no I, <laughs> see, I'm not a car person. To me, that's that's just not that's never been my thing. I literally have every car that I bought. It was like. They gave me this as a loaner mm-hmm. at the dealership, and I'm like, yeah, that was pretty good. I'll buy that next time. Like my, I have a Range Rover Velar now, and I had that because it was like a. Those are nice. That Those is a pretty deluxe great. car. They're not as bad as you would think. So that's a four cylinder, right? You're, you're a car guy. Yeah, so it's I, a. I, I could be wrong. <laughs> I, I mean, believe it's, it's a four door. I can tell yeah, you that. Yeah, yeah, I believe it's a four cylinder car, so it gets really good gas mileage. The lease prices on those cars are really affordable. They're not bad, and they look so good. You could throw up a picture of this and yeah, just yeah. see if I'm right or not. But no, I liked I really it. So liked actually, the, the dealership gave me an Evoke, and I was like, "Oh, oh. I don't like those." And I was like, "Yeah, no. it's a little squatty in the yeah, back." Yeah, yeah. I didn't really like it. But then when I turned it back in, I was like, "What is that?" And it was all shiny and new in the yeah. in the lobby. So I I took that home, yeah. and I think my lease is almost up. So I don't know what to get yeah. next. Tesla, oh, Tesla Model X. That's yeah. really what I've I've always said that that's what I should buy. You should. I don't drive though. Like I think yeah, I the put car 5, exactly. I put five thousand miles on my car this past year. That's a but decent that's amount because though. of the, yeah. the lockdown yeah. and everything. That's a decent I'm amount. Sure, that miles. plays yeah. effect. I like the Model X because of the uh, the doors. The doors. Yeah. That's, that's really if get one. If it was just a little bit bigger, they look cool. Back to the Future is my favorite movie. I've always wanted a DeLorean. So if I bought a stupid car, it would be a uh, DeLorean. Really? Yeah. Andre Jick <laughs> wants a DeLorean really badly. Really? Yeah. And it made sense. Like as soon does as he, he told the, me uh, that the tricked out version with a flux yes. capacitor. In yes, it? he yeah. does. Okay. Yeah. yeah, but as soon as he told me that he wanted a DeLorean, I'm like, wait a second, that's a great car to get. It I, is. I, part of me wanted a DeLorean, but I'm not going to. Just I'm get not one gonna, really quickly. Yeah, I'll get one <laughs> right, right, right now. But how yeah. funny would it be if we all three got them and then drove them no. just by his house? <laughs> They've gone up in value a lot lately. Those cars used to be like eighteen thousand, twenty thousand dollars a few years ago. They're all now selling for like thirty, thirty-five grand. Do you think it's just all alternative investments yes. right now are just like picking up? Yeah. If you're buying NFTs of like random things, then yeah, there's it's, a lot of alternative investment going on out there. Everything like watches, Pokemon cards, like everything is yeah. super Why high is right that? now. It's so odd. Why? I don't know. Is it I mean, hobbies? Yeah. People are pick, they have too much time well, right now. They're looking at stuff. Mm. We've had a lot of free time and some free money got dropped in their bank accounts. And I don't know. The, I've never really been a collector of anything either. So it's Pokemon's never really made sense to me. We had on dumb money that $375,000 oh, yes. fake Pokemon. Oh, we should talk about debacle. that. So, so let me explain this. So Sebi sends me this video minutes after it happened said you need to watch this immediately and react to it and for for a long live stream like that i'm like let me at least scroll and like see what i'm going to react to and just make sure it's worth it i started watching it and i couldn't react to it because i I watched the whole thing (laughs) because i i couldn't take my eyes off the screen so you bought at the time the most expensive first edition box of unopened Pokemon cards ever. ever. It was right after Logan Paul bought a $300,000 box. We were scrambling because 
we wanted to open one. We knew that the market for these was going to accelerate because they're now famous and now people are going to want these boxes. And so we bought one uh, and had 100000 or how uh, much was it? $375,000. Yeah. Um, and the guy who actually was on Logan Paul's show hand-delivered it to us. He, he secured one, brought it to us. We had uh, Leonhardt and some Pokemon experts standing by ready to, uh, to look at it. And uh, then comes time to open it, and it was a resealed box. Mm-hmm. There, were, there were fake, uh, like, there were real cards, but they were not the cards that were supposed to be in there. They were not first edition yeah. cards. And it was just, uh, we, we had no idea what to even do. Now, we were not even expecting yeah. this live stream to be a big thing. At the time, live, only like 2,000 people simultaneously were watching. It was small because it's, right. it's a smaller channel. Yeah. Uh, and then within, within two days, there were, you know, quarter million views on a video that basically it was a huge failure. We had people saying how poor the production was. Yeah, how can you do a box break without having a camera on the box? Yeah. I'm like, dude, I was, I was buying gear off of Amazon the night before just to be able to give you that much quality. <laughs> Wouldn't you think, though, that if you were spending 375000 on a box, you know, like, a few weeks ahead of time to fly Leon Hart out there, like... He was Collectibles local. He's guru local. Is, oh, he's local. Okay. He's local. All right. Okay, it, fair it, enough. It all but... happened so quick. It literally, I had Collectibles Guru uh, in DMs on Twitter uh, in one stream, and then my Amazon cart in, in the other. And, and it was all happening within okay. a few days. So what was your immediate reaction when he opened up the box and it was like all fake? What was your response? It was, it was just shock. I didn't even know what to do. Like, do we... Pull, do we pull the thing off the air? Is this, what do we do? But it, it actually just ended up being the only thing that was good about it. I mean, yeah. nobody would have ever seen our $375,000 right. Pokemon box had it not been fake. So, I mean, we had people saying, oh, you, you staged this whole thing. It, I can tell you, this was not at all staged. And it was it was shocking. And I, I didn't even, I it was like I was in my own world. Right. Because I'm also monitoring audio and People's mics are going out, and so it was just, the whole thing was a disaster. So you were in shock. You weren't feeling like angry, or you weren't feeling sad, or anything no, like no. That. I mean, it wasn't my money, first of all, so that made it uh, completely mm. like, oh well, right. Sucks to be Chris right now, but yeah. no, we hadn't actually transacted the money, so it wasn't like we were going to be at a you know be at right, a loss on right. this. It, I'm I was actually glad that we didn't you know wait and not open it because yeah, it would be more dramatic to. Uh, do a box break for whatever the, you know, event charity thing is eventually and have it just be already, you know, perfectly sealed box. But I'm so glad that we actually opened it because that would have been a huge disaster. Now, you didn't pay for it right ahead of time. Like you had the cash. We had but- a suitcase full of cash because yeah. that's how you either you either buy it using Bitcoin or cash. Right. And so we we uh, ordered a wire Amazon. transfer not. Work, uh, apparently, like, they don't do that in this wor- crazy in world. In Pokemon, are you serious? It's uh, either cash or big. Yeah, I think it was all. We actually did end up giving him the uh, suitcase of cash like a that week day? later. That day? Oh, wow. a week later. After yeah. he sourced you guys what a new one. What do you one? do mm-hmm. with that much cash, though? That's a pain to deal with that much cash. Uh, even getting that much cash was a huge pain. How do you do that? You They basically give you a clear garbage bag, and you're just walking <laughs> through the parking lot with $375,000 in cash before you can put it in your little suitcase. 
I'll, I'll, I have some uh, B-roll clips that you can I would love to uh, see, yeah. insert into this. Now, to get the cash, you didn't have to go in like an airplane or take the cash anywhere. You just you just No, no, car. just okay. a local local bank. Okay. Uh, they had security there, but it was not like an armed guard or anything. It was yeah. just like a, a dude who worked at the bank who said, oh, yeah, if you're, you're parked right there, I'll, I'll keep an eye on you. Wow. Did they question what this is for? I don't really recall. They must not believe yeah, you. Yeah, I'm you're surprised like, I'm that buy it was just so nonchalant. Yeah, it seemed, it, well, I think we in advance like told them, you know, because the, I don't know that they always have that much cash mm-hmm. just sitting know. in the vault. So I'm sure that there was like an order in advance, so they knew we were coming. It wasn't just like, hey, I want to write a check yeah. for four hundred thousand dollars and take it out in cash. What bank is it? It was a Wells Fargo. Ew. Nasty. That's what <laughs> yeah. I. So it's it yeah. was actually Chris's money. I okay, I, right, I would cool. never buy a four hundred thousand dollar Pokemon box, yeah. but. It was his money, his bank. I always give him a hard time for Wells Fargo because every time he needs to wire money, he physically goes into a branch. Why? Because he's an idiot. J.P. Morgan. Yeah, I, I get use, free wire transfers now, Chase. I use... Oh, that, that's him now. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> that's funny. Cool. No, I, uh, I, I use Bank of America, and I can do it all on my phone, and... If you watch any of the original Dumb Money channel, you see like every time we need to wire money for some startup we're investing in, there's always like this scene of us driving to the bank so Chris can do it while I'm doing it on my phone. Yeah, it's just <laughs> I had a terrible experience with Bank of America. Two terrible experiences. The first one was I wired money from one account to another, and I forget what it was, but I, I think I switched the routing and account number, or there was some sort of like a common error that was there. The wire was sent but it was never received and it was 150 grand. Oh, try tracing that back and trying to reach somebody at bank of America. They have wire hours that close down at like 5 PM Eastern time. It takes like three hours just to reach somebody who's in, who then is like, Oh, we got to transfer you over to this person. And then it goes to a voicemail. (laughs) Imagine waiting on hold for like two hours to go to a voicemail. It was terrible. Eventually the money was reverted back. I was so thankful, but that was, Really, just a scary experience. I had something similar happen with E-Trade back when I didn't really know what I was doing, and I got into some some kind of a position that I should never have been in, some naked call position or something, that they ended up like margin calling me and Fed calling me on the same day and mm. just emptying my, my entire account. And I'm like, what? How, how you can't do this? Where'd everything go? Yeah. You, you you shouldn't have even let me get into that trade. I I am not qualified to make that kind of investment. But I can't remember. It worked Jeez. out in the end. Wow. I finally got through to someone who yeah understood. But yeah. So what's the plan with the charity box break? Are you going to be selling the packs, or how does this work? I'm not sure exactly the logistics of what we're doing, but basically it, it'll be similar to to other charity box breaks. We'll be selling packs. We'll we'll be giving some to uh, people in the dumb money community. We'll be giving some probably to some creators. Giving some to creators. How how do, how do you creators give? And also what constitutes a creator? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I think you probably both qualify. I'll, uh, Mm. I'll definitely keep you in mind. Yeah. How do you, yeah. Let us know. Okay. Ooh, okay. <laughs> now, would you do something like an NFT associated with that? Because I feel like you could either do like the raffle thing and you buy into it and you raffle off. You would make a lot more money for charity, I feel like, yeah. doing the raffle. The bidding system was interesting, what Logan Paul did, mm-hmm. but those prices were just insane. But he had the NFT attached to it. 
So what is your thought? I don't know. I, yeah. I would love to figure out an NFT that makes sense. It's just so hard to figure out something that makes sense. I own a uh, Logan Paul NFT. I have no idea if it'll ever be worth anything. Which What did you buy? I bought one of the original uh, 3000 3, or 2000 that he did for one Ether each. Okay. I bought one of those in the aftermarket when they had already depreciated. They depreciated that fast? Yeah. What about the uh, the original box break one? That's the one that I have. So he yeah. issued... That's where he made his $5 million. No, 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 no. no. They're, they're called box break. But then he had 44 unique yes, ones. The 44 unique ones. When you, yes. when you received a pack, you also got one of That's those. That's what I'm talking about. I don't know what those... I, I haven't found those in the in the secondary market. So At all. I, I haven't seen them. But I haven't I, really shopped. I looked them up once, and I saw the last one sold for $38,500, which I was shocked. Yeah. I, does any of it make sense, no. really? Do you want to have a uh, gram coin? Maybe. <laughs> I think. I think. <laughs> I think there could be a lot of potential. I think for an NFT. Kevin mentioned this in one of his videos, uh, and we mentioned it with uh, Blau on the podcast last week. Doing an NFT that's valid for like, let's say, one phone call a month, or like one mentorship thing a month, or something mm-hmm. like that, where they have access to me for an hour. Mm-hmm. And that could be resold in the future. Yeah. Basically a resellable subscription Correct. that the person who bought it the first time can change the price. Yes. And then you would get a percentage if the transactions Correct. happen. Yeah. Yes. So, but it would be sense. backed by a service. Yeah. Uh, in terms of the artwork, I see there being some value for certain pieces. Right now, it's a crapshoot. I think right now, it's like uh, throwing a shot in the dark is is like people going to be a household name? Or is he going to be the Banksy? I think people is one of those. People no. is because he was the first, the first to have these huge six million dollar sales. I think that that kind of cemented him, his place in history, and he will continue to have value. I think that that is kind of like owning a Picasso, mm-hmm. right? Um, I think that a bunch of these other random things are going to disappear. I also like uh, uh, CryptoPunks because. Yep. They were the original original. Yep. And uh, so I gave away 14 Crypto Daves for free, and I'm waiting to see if anyone sells them. Right now, someone's offering $100 for one. Hmm. There's no value at oh, all. Oh, this, this was from your video, right? Yeah. yeah. So How I did, just, yeah. just, just for fun, I thought, you know, just to see what the process is, I want to show how easy it is to actually, anyone can create one of these things. And what happens if I just give them away? And does anyone want them? Yeah, it, it like within an hour, people were claiming them. Wow. Um, I gave away one every hour for 12 hours. And like people were already offering, you know, they, they were free. And then five minutes later, they were $50. And mm. there's some, right now there's an offer for like uh, $170 mm. or something. Yeah. So like there's no value. There's, you can't do anything. It's a picture of me pixelated with a stupid hat and glasses. That's it. I'm trying to get my dad to do an NFT. So he used to work for Disney throughout the 1980s and 1990s as an animator. And That's cool. so he's done a lot of, we actually, in this box over here, we have a lot of the original animated artwork from like The Little Mermaid. And really? uh, yeah, and like Beauty and the like Beast. store and, that in a nice climate controlled environment? This has been sitting in a garage for like <laughs> 30 years. I'll show, I'll show you some pieces actually. You know what? Um, you know what? While we're on the topic, let me pull out one piece here. So much for staying on track with a nice narrative. Dude, we are just like <laughs> jumping from topic to topic. I'm with it, though. I, I like it. Yeah, what, who, is, who is this? What uh, that's, is that? Isn't that 101 Dalmatians? Yes. Yeah. 
Yeah, so he uh, was working on this. Yeah, yeah, 101 Dalmatians. How cool is that? So this is one of the original Disney cells. I have no idea how much these are worth. I'm never going to sell them, obviously. But he has his entire career basically just sitting in a garage right now. And almost none of it is framed, but eventually I want to get them all framed. How cool uh, is that? This? I want an original, though. That's See, I don't want a token version. But no, here's the thing. I was telling him, because he's, he's just always done art... Um, I think art in this sort of form, it's, it's difficult to sell, but if he could create a digital version of his own version of like, you know, his own animations and sell an NFT version of that, just a one of one, I think then it has, and maybe I'm biased because like, I'm talking about my dad here. So obviously I'm going to be like that bad, but I think there's something to be said about buying artwork from real artists and that having value at some point. No, Absolutely. And I think a digital version of a one of one from an artist that you respect, that you like, that definitely has yeah. value. And I don't know exactly how you're going to display it. I guess all frames in the future will be digital and you can Probably. just pull up whatever you want. But you could pull up any art, mm-hmm. really. So the only the only thing is I own this and I can prove it because I have a copy of the blockchain. Right. So I agree. I think it's kind of a toss up right now with the valuations of NFTs. I know someone who made their own NFT, like digital artwork. They put it up online and sold it for like four hundred dollars. And they have mm-hmm. no following or any like background in digital like art or like design or anything. They just sold it for four hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, that was my first NFT. More to come. Wow. It, it doesn't make sense. Well, it's so cool though that people can do that. I love anything that just gives more access to people to be able to sell whatever they want to make something and be able to sell it. Like, can you imagine like if I was, if I was able to have YouTube when I was a kid, can you imagine how like cool that would have been to like make videos when you're like, I don't know how old you have to be to be on YouTube, but like, when 16, I, I, when I, I was, don't know. I was yeah. making mixtapes of me being a DJ. If I mm. could have like sold those somehow back, like and had an audience, that would have been super cool. Yeah. Even OnlyFans. We got we gotta we gotta respect the OnlyFans here, but like there were creators making over a million dollars a month yeah. on OnlyFans. It just goes to show you, I don't know if right now just people have so much money to spend or if we've, we're finding just new creative ways <laughs> I think to make money. It's a little of both. Yeah. Jack, how are you liking OnlyFans? It's great, you, actually. You're on OnlyFans? No, no, yeah. I'm kidding. Really? A little, oh. little community. No, I'm, I'm not. <laughs> uh, what do you do there? <laughs> I bet you would get people that would sign up for you for an OnlyFans. You would, too. Like, I, right. Maybe I'd get, like, five. I bet you'd get quite a few. What would I do on there? Like, What do you money do on teasing? OnlyFans? <laughs> money teasing? I don't, I don't know. I don't know. What is that? What is money teasing? I, don't, I just made it up. This is <laughs> like shaking money. I don't know. That's an NFT in the making. Yeah. 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 Should I make an OnlyFans? I mean, maybe. Honestly, yeah. I would. What if I, could I produce your content? I'm leaving. <laughs> what, would, enough of this? what would we post? I don't know. What just would we post? Money clips with you and money. I don't know. Basically, it's like I'm in a bathtub, TikToks. just like full of hundred dollars. Yes, like that would <laughs> people would love that, dude. But it would have to be like PG stuff. Like I'm, we wouldn't be doing anything like sure, crazy, okay. like yeah. PG, maybe PG thirteen. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, we'll see. Well, anyway, that's we really yeah. derailed your whole right, we did, yeah, uh, podcast. Yeah, okay. Let's go back to investing. What's your investing <laughs> strategy now? What do, What do you see in the market that scares you a little bit? I'm I, basically. The last month has scared me a little bit. 
and I don't know if I should be putting the brakes on, if I should be, you know, hedging again, if I should just let it ride, if I should be doubling down, if I, I don't know what to do. So Mm -hmm. I really have just kind of taken a step back and not done anything because long-term that's probably the right thing to do. So what about the market worries you in the last month? Uh, the every day being red was a big problem that, that, you know, I, I don't know if, if it's systemic, we're going to actually see this happen, you know, for two months in a row, long-term, I think we're fine, but we have inflationary worries. We have, you know, there's just so many things and I'm not a macroeconomics guy. I just, I just play stocks. Mm. I almost felt a little easy about the market going down because when the market was going up like a percent every single day, I was like, how is this possible? But to see it just trace back and some yeah. stocks go back like 20, 30%, then it made me almost have some faith in the markets. Like, okay, maybe people aren't that crazy. Maybe there is some some logic to this. So that's kind of that, how is, I felt. Yeah. And that's great if that continues for a month or you know a few weeks and then we get some, some up days. What I would just absolutely terrifies me is if we had that happen for five years where you have yep. stagnation or you know it's just the market on on a downward spiral not not big drops not something that you wake up one day and go oh well we had a 10 percent drop that that's the end and now it's going to go back up but if we have you know two percent here up one down two up one down two and that continues for a long time that is what scares me that's, that's why you sell point, yeah. covered calls on your on your shares that's how you make money in like a stagnant market. And that's what I've been doing to hedge against like all of my equity holdings mm-hmm. during this like last kind of like downturn or whatever, downfall, whatever you want to call it. Do things get called away from you frequently when you do that? Or are you No, no, because everything's been going down. Yeah. So like I'm nobody on, wants Jack stocks. Nobody wants my stocks. <laughs> no. But fortunately, like I've I've made a little bit of my money back. I'm still way down, but I would be way more down had I not sold these covered calls on my on my shares. Are you picking stocks that have like a higher uh, call price, like specifically, like a, uh, like a higher premium? Mm-hmm. Um, I this is just in my Robinhood account, so I have like a Robinhood account, which is like my you know fund money, my risk higher higher risk mm-hmm. money. Then I have my TD account, which is buy and hold. Then I have Vanguard, which is index funds. My Robinhood account is all just like, yeah, high premium stock. Like I have a ton of Palantir. I have Apple, which doesn't really have a high high premium, but it's a little bit more volatile. Mm-hmm. Um, I have Neo, stuff like that. So yeah, I will, you know, on the calls that I sell, I can usually get like 10% of, of the uh, the share cost uh, with the premium. Yeah. So the only thing that will really actually hurt me is if, you know, the stock plummets more than 10%. Yeah. Or if the, the share price just like skyrockets and I'm, you know, yeah. upside down on the option. But I still make but you get out. money you, on the appreciation good... and 10% mm-hmm. premium as well. Yeah, I, I like doing that. It, it just got so time consuming to monitor it and keep moving those call prices down. And, you know, you want to do it for your shorter, you know, weekly options instead of like the longer term monthlies. And it just... I usually just do monthlies because it's like less to worry about. Yeah. So that's that's the I, I'm like, all about simplifying. If if it takes too much mental power, it's just like, is it even worth it? Oh, I'm not gonna lie. Like sometimes I, I literally just go on Robinhood, I click sell, I click call, I just pick a random date, and I like pick like a, <laughs> I, I'm not kidding. Like, and it, it works. Like especially considering what recently happened. It works until it doesn't. though. No, but this yeah. is. I mean, this is hedging against my 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 holding. So it's not yeah. like 
the, if anything, it's less volatile what I'm doing. But I swear, like I literally, I don't even like compare premiums. You know, if I can get like 5% in one week versus 12% in two weeks, like I don't, it doesn't matter to me. I'm like, I'll take anything, honestly. That's how we buy stocks too. He just goes to the top movers section on Robin. Yeah, and I, it's just, like, I just buy yeah. that one. Yeah. All right, I'll buy it. I'll take yeah. them all. <laughs> I feel like my portfolio is kind of the same way, though. I mean, if you think about, I you know, I have a lot of Amazon and Tesla and Apple, and those that is probably you know a half of my portfolio in three concentrated three highly volatile stocks. Wow! I mean, Apple is my that Apple is my cash, and then I I have a bunch of things that I play with, right? And so that's that just kind of keeps it fun. Mm. So, what's your net worth right now? I, I haven't even done that calculation. So my fun brokerage account is around $10 million. Uh, my house is... That's your fun brokerage account? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Do you have a fun account for ten? Jeez. I thought that was it. like everything. That's what I, I was thought. Like, well, I was like, all right, ten, that's, a... that's my primary... Wow. That is, that's the majority. Okay. Um, but... That, How is it the fun one, though? <laughs> Well, yeah. because it's, it's the one that keeps That's growing. That's a lot of fun. Ten million dollars. We don't need like that much fun. Lot. Yeah. It was only four when I started, so it's wow. been a lot of. That's why okay. I call it fun because it's. And I'm, not gonna, I'm not going to take money <laughs> out of that and put it into a boring account. All I'm right. just going to keep okay. having fun. So you have fun account. Um. Yeah, and then I have a, a. My real estate is very limited to my house that I live mm-hmm. in, uh, which is I don't know three three and a half. Did you pay for that outright, or do you have a mortgage on that? At the time, I had a construction loan that uh, I, you know, it was a million dollar construction loan that I kept as a mortgage for about a year, and then I just decided to pay it off. Mm. Why decide to pay off the home? Why wouldn't you see that as a good way to leverage your money? You get like 3% on that as a cash out. That's true. I, I For me, it just felt like I was more in control of all of my money if I didn't have this extra money that I was going to have to pay back at some point. Right. Mm. It just gave me more clarity. And as, as far as what I have, what I can invest, I don't know. It, it was, it, it was kind of a weird ma- on paper by math. It probably doesn't make sense, but I just thought this is the time. Just yeah. pay it off. Mm. One less thing to think about. Right. So you have $10 million in fund money, $4 million in real estate. Then what else? That's about it. What else is there? So your fun money... The I, don't ten- have, I don't have like a lake house. I don't have any exotic cars. Just like a couple million here, a couple million there. Kind of <laughs> Accounts like, I don't really yeah, remember I try, where I, try I put them. I to keep it really simple. Right. Okay, that makes sense. Like I, I respect having, that. Having to think about money too much is just... I, I'd rather That's, just not think about I it. I want to get like that. It's, 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 it's overwhelming for me to think of all the things like just, I got emailed today, like with six different, like, Ooh, this, this electric account is getting billed today. And like making sure I switch that over to like the new, you know, business account and like property tax, like the accountant Carol, she wanted all the property tax statements. I got to get like eight property tax statements. It's horrible. Making sure all that gets paid and like the insurance, the insurance, I had to renew the insurances and they have to call like at the bank account for me. It just. I, I envy I've just stayed. like one place. You have like a house and a stock market account. And I've basically so I nice. stayed away from real estate because it just seems like a hassle. Like I get it. That's a good investment. It's it's a totally, it's just something I haven't explored and I just am not as comfortable with it. And so I just haven't done it. I've been telling Jack about this, that uh, I feel like 
when you really want to build your wealth in the very beginning, real estate is such a great way to do that if you have the time to do that. Yeah. It's so hands-on that you, it's possible to get like a 50 to 100% return on your money like somewhat safely in the first year by like buying a place under market, fixing it up. Now you have a whole bunch of equity. You could rent it out. You get the cash flow. But as you start growing, I feel like it starts making less and less sense just from like the, the time aspect of it. Yeah, I, I was actually looking at like a eight-unit apartment building. And that just seemed like it would make sense because I could hire someone to do most of mm-hmm. the work and I would just I'd basically be able to collect, you know, paychecks that would or, you know, collect rent mm-hmm. that would pay the mortgage for it. But it just even that seems messy because you're always trying to make sure that all the units are filled. And mm-hmm. it's just why do that when you can just sit back and watch the stock market? Yeah. The property manager that I have takes care of like 90% of things, but there's still that 10% that I have to do Mm -hmm. in addition to it. And they were sending me emails back and forth today at the the toilet. Do you want to repair it or do you want to just get a new one? It's a $100 difference between the two. Well, I'm going to get a new one. And then the HVAC, the the ducting is like some issue with that that now needs to be fixed. It's a hassle. It's a hassle. I don't want to be dealing with it. It's it's enough to have to deal with five air conditioning units in my main house. Like, there's always something that I'm dealing with, and I can't even imagine doing that at multiple properties. And that's why if I had multiple properties, they would be small, Airbnb-sized, like one, two-bedroom kind of condo apartment type things in places that I want to visit. Mm-hmm. But even then, Airbnb, so much easier. Yep. So do you not technically have an income then? Like, how do you have capital to throw into new investments if a lot of your like worth is tied up into like long-term yeah. holds or something like that? Um, my, I use margin. That's, I go into margin when I want to make a speculative investment and pull out of margin and get back to uh, break even or, you know. So most of just like the, the actual stuff that you own, not using margin, mm-hmm. that is like all buy and hold. And then the margin is kind of just like speculative yeah. fund. Shorter, shorter term trades, I'll buy on margin knowing that this is, this is, I, I don't want to pay interest on this money for the rest of time. But I'll buy, you know, when I was in GameStop, I didn't have extra cash sitting on the sideline. So I went into margin to buy some GameStop, and that was probably not the best idea. But, uh, yeah, that's, I, I, use, I use my brokerage account as my income and just pull. Whenever I need some money, I pull some money out and put I've it been, in my checking account. I've been debating doing that. Kevin has been telling me to do that. That's what he does. Mm-hmm. He has no cash in his accounts because it's all invested, and he just uses margin as like a piggy bank mm-hmm. to go and pay for anything. Yeah. I mean, it's a, you can negotiate your rate down. Yeah. It's, it's kind of worthwhile. The only difference between that and a mortgage is you don't get that tax deduction off of the mortgage interest, which is capped. But you do get uh, you, your, mor- uh, your margin interest is deductible So on your, on your capital gains. Right. Check with the CPA. I'm, yeah. I'm not an attorney. What would you do? Because I, I, I got taxes coming up, and I got a big tax bill. I have the cash to pay the tax bill. Kevin, what he's doing is he's uh, basically just getting a larger margin loan against his portfolio to pay his taxes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm debating it because it's like on the one hand, it's just peace of mind. Like, OK, it's yeah. done. I don't know anything. It, it is what it is. I'm back to square one again. Or I could borrow it. I think if you had something that you wanted to invest in, you actively were like, I need to have this money to invest in this. I would do what he's doing. Mm-hmm. He's fully invested He's 
fully on margin. And when he needs money to pay his tax bill, he's going deeper into margin. If you don't have that investment in mind that you want to do, I would totally just pay it because otherwise you're paying more taxes. You're paying interest and you're not putting that money to work for you in whatever, because you don't have an investment. But assuming I would invest it. Assuming you would invest it, you just have to do the math. Are you going to beat the margin rate and uh, any penalties on delaying on paying your taxes? Or are you just going to pay it? Well, I would be paying it. Because that's yeah. also, you, you, right. could, you could just decide not to pay your taxes and pay the penalty. No, no, I don't want to do that. Yeah, I, I made that mistake last year by doing the, I didn't pay my estimated taxes because I've always... I hate estimated taxes. I know, taxes. same. So stupid. I, I just figured I'm just going to pay a big lump sum at the end of the year and that'll be fine. But it's just, I mean, in hindsight, it would have been better for me just to pay the estimated. But I liked having more cash on hand, especially when the market was dropping, to yeah. be able to buy in even more. Yeah. So I now make my estimated payments and I do it based on a percentage of what the previous year was, yep. which is such a weird system anyway, yep. because you don't know what your previous year was because you're always filing. I'm sure you are filing an extension and filing no. at the last. You, I've never filed an extension. So you probably don't invest in many startup companies. They, they're notoriously slow at getting K-1s to you, and you can't file your taxes until you have all your K-1s. And so I end up having to push, push my taxes back, and so I don't know what I owe, and so I'm now making estimated taxes on what I think an estimate of my estimated tax. The whole thing is... Wait a second. Okay, so I've already paid 100% of what I paid last year in taxes. Mm-hmm. So technically, then, I could file an extension. Yes, and because I've already paid 100% of the last year, I'd get... I think it's 110%. There's a safe harbor amount. Sure. I, just check on, check on that. But yeah, you pay a certain amount based on what you paid last year. And then you can file an extension. And if you owe more this year than you did last year, you're not going to get penalized. Supposedly. Not, a, not tax advice. That changes everything. I'm going to do that. Talk to them. Yeah, Talk I to mean... Them. CPA. That wouldn't. That doesn't increase the risks of. No. Okay. No, I mean, I've been audited one time. Yeah. Oh, that's a fun story. What happened? Um, it was actually the uh, the small business department sent an auditor to my house um, because apparently some ten ninety nine miscellaneous for like hundred dollars, like for some random little thing, uh, they filed it twice, and so I was missing a hundred dollars. But they basically needed every bank account statement, every inflow, outflow. You can imagine that my finances are a little right. bit complicated. And this this poor woman had to sit in my dining room for three days. <laughs> poor woman. I had to sit in my dining room handing her every document she wanted for three days. And um, it ended up like there was just all kinds of complications with things that I had depreciated incorrectly and just... It was just a mess. Wow. This worked yeah. out in the end. I bet if they were to audit like anyone who makes over a million dollars a year, there's going to be something going on that yeah. they can just nitpick at. Absolutely. There's no way you can keep track well, a of lot that of much it, yeah. finance. A lot of it is open to interpretation. So then it's you arguing your interpretation of the tax code, which is not exactly clear. It's you would, not. You would think. And, yeah. And actually, they, the IRS was pretty nice about it. Yes. They, they show up with a giant binder anytime you have a question, and then they give you a copy of the thing that they are basing what their finding was based on, and then you have an, a right to then question that and take it to court if you want. I just settled and paid them because, again, I'd rather 
pay a little bit more than have to deal with the mental yeah. anguish of yeah. going to I've, court with the yeah. IRS. So I've heard like both horror stories from audits, but I've also heard that anybody who's like complying with the IRS, they're really polite. Mm-hmm. I've never heard a story be like, oh, they're so rude to me, the IRS. Yeah. But it seems like it, 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 if, you, if you're working with them, they're nice. Yeah. It's just, yeah. No. I've always tried to be as, as like on point as I can because I just I, I don't want to have to go through it. So I've always just tried to like you know, what, what do you call it? Uh, cross your T's and dot your I's and be like precise and everything. Yeah, and you try, but I mean, you have an auditor looking at your everything you've ever done in the in the year, and then they then they opened up the previous year. It was just a mm-hmm. whole ordeal, and they're going to find things that they would have classified differently, and some things they found that were in my favor. So mm. it's like, well, we found this that's going to cost you this much more, but we also found this that's going to cost you this much less. So they kind of offset So are they basically just going and doing your taxes for you That's at that what point? I asked yeah. her. I said, if I didn't want to file my taxes, would you come audit me and just do this for me? Mm-hmm. Because you're clearly way more qualified than me because I don't know what I'm doing. And clearly the CPA I had doing my taxes didn't know what they were doing. If you're mm-hmm. finding these discrepancies, why did, why are we going through this process? How about you just tell me how much I owe you and I'll just write you a check. Right. I mean, that seems like it would be a way easier system. Right. I agree with that. Yeah. That's always been an issue with mine, with the IRS. It's like, it's so weird how you have to come up with how much you owe them. But of course there's always going to be some error that you could possibly make. And then they're just going to go do exactly what you just did, but correctly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they supposedly know how much you owe. Why not just tell us you you're doing the math to figure it out. Like when you're auditing, you know, Oh, this, this one's off because we had all these inputs and we are expecting yeah, it this. It really shouldn't be that hard. I would love, what do you think of a flat tax? Oh, I would love it. Yeah. Yeah. I would love just, how about this? How about we just call it a flat 30%. That's it. Everyone pays 30%. If you, if you make a dollar or mm-hmm. you make a hundred million dollars, 30%. It would simplify know? everything. Yeah. Same for corporations. Yeah. And it wouldn't have to be 30%. If you're taxing everyone at that rate and there's no loopholes, there's no, right. if, if there's no deductions, if there's no ways for the, the uber rich to like do a fast one and end up paying 2%. No, everyone pays 30% on their income for the year. All but would it document. be net? But you, it couldn't be gross. But it's so it not going to be thirty percent. It would end up being like eight percent once you once you factor in that you're basing it on everyone's income, like the gross mm. national product of oh, humans man. and uh, like. So if, do you, you think, think about, like you, think of corporate, corporate? So you think money. we would collect more tax revenue doing like a thirty percent flat tax across I think you the would board be able to collect the same amount yeah. and. Each individual person would have a way lower rate because you're also doing it for individuals, corporations, uber rich. I, I would love that. If you're do if you, if you say it like that though, do you mean that also eliminates like property tax, sales tax, hotel tax, like all no, gas tax? You, you really can't because those? it goes yeah. to different places. Yeah. Like you still need to pay for your local schools and hospitals with your property tax. And you, I don't know what California does with all the money they take from you, but not anymore. I don't know. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> Yeah. How, how Texas doesn't have that and California does, but we have bigger property tax. It's just, you're going to have to pay for roads and bridges and hospitals and all of that. And I get it. Pay your fair share. Makes sense. You have a bigger house, you pay more. But um, I think there would be a, a way to simplify everything. I would love that. I think just a 30%. We, we, could, we could come up with what it is here yeah. and then yeah. just implement that. We should love that. Yeah. I wonder where parking tickets go because I paid like 350 bucks in parking tickets in the last like three months. It goes for maintenance on the 
scanners that they use to uh, give you a parking ticket. That's oh, it. I'm sure, that, I'm sure I, it's they, not even a... I don't think they make money from parking tickets. Yeah. It would be impossible they to pay some... They make money from parking tickets. I swear. There's no way. I have paid so much money in parking tickets in the past five months. The thing is, they have street sweepers that come through LA. Mm-hmm. And I bet that those street sweepers, they actually make money on that. Because they give off Are parking they tickets. The, they give off parking yeah. tickets if you park in the street. And every single time I walk up and down the street on like the weird Thursday, first Thursday of the month, the, like that day, California, they have like weirdest, every weirdest parking rules. Five to ten cars every street have parking tickets, and each parking ticket is seventy three dollars. It is crazy. Okay, well, I they guess make, they make yeah. money. Cleaning well, our I streets. guess if the if if the person driving, let's say, gets one hundred and twenty dollars a day. They're probably collecting a thousand dollars worth of tickets. Maybe net Way of that, it's got a thousand dollars on the street. Yeah. The street sweeping machine has to be maintained. Right. The equipment, the mailing the thing to you, the then court costs if you fight it, and I mean it, the whole thing. It it probably is a. I would even bet that they make a lot of money. I was trying to look into like the financial statements of of Santa Monica. You should start a YouTube channel that. Like that dives into that I, I literally yeah. was like trying to find the financial <laughs> yeah. statements. I was like, where is all this income coming from? Like, what are their expenses like? Because I was just wondering, like, what is their parking ticket income? Yeah. Right. And how much of a percentage yeah. am I of their parking ticket well, income? See, I, went, yeah. I went down that rabbit hole looking for where does the toll road money go? And is it actually all being used to pay for these roads that when they first started making toll roads back in the 60s or something, the whole premise was you're going to have a nickel toll to be able to build this road and then we'll take away the toll but they mm-hmm. never did they just keep raising the rate so what happens to that money i couldn't find yeah. it out. the santa monica sales tax is terrible it's over 10 percent sales tax 10 percent yeah it's nuts las vegas i think is 7.2 what was the <laughs> best investment you've ever made the best return you've ever gotten and what is the worst return the wor- the most oh, money you've lost these are these are you have to give me like time to research that. I would say probably Tesla is the best return, but I still haven't sold it, so I don't know. So what's your unrealized gain? Mm, like $2 million. But what percentage? Is that? Mm, I don't know, 200%. Okay. Something like that-ish. These are the questions yeah. that a lot of the audience is yeah. going to want. I'm trying to check them I'm trying to find yeah. a thumbnail. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think I got like 1,300%. It was like 1,200% on Tesla. I... I could look it up. Yeah. I, I don't know. That's pretty you good. Know. I think I like a thousand percent on yeah. uh, on Apple. Maybe four hundred. Yeah. I have no idea. Somewhere yeah. between four hundred. I still have some old old Microsoft stock that I don't even remember buying. That is probably like a two thousand percent gain. So that wow. But, but that's something that you know I just bought a long time ago and never really looked at it again. And it was never near the top of my account because I you know I sort by market value to mm-hmm. see what I'm worried about. For the day and there was nothing yeah. uh that's the way to do it just buy something and forget about it if do you think you would be better off today if you just held on to everything you've ever bought or do you think that you were better off selling and actively managing your portfolio that's a good question i think actively managing because mm-hmm. had i just bought half of those companies went out of business like i found i found that old login on yahoo that showed yeah this company doesn't exist anymore i don't i don't know what would happen to those shares um, so yeah, and I'm sure I've made terrible trades, but in the end I've, I've done better than having just set. What's your investing style? Like, are you a value investor? Are you like a social arbitrage investor? Social like, arb. Yeah. Oh, you are. Oh yeah, absolutely. That's, Very cool. That's kind of what I figured out from scanning your videos a little yeah. bit. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's what it's all. And that to me is 
like the one edge that you have over an investment banker. They don't know what's going on, you know, in the real world where real people are shopping and seeing trends before they make it onto Wall Street. So some of our big trades um, that we've talked about on Dumb Money are things that are like trends that we spot before they, you know, caught Wall Street's attention. Do you think those investment bakers have like certain quotas that they have to like check off their list, like regarding net income, like uh, debt to income ratio, long-term debts to like short-term income, stuff like that? Do they, do you think they have to do that so they can't do social arbitrage or do you think that they're just like not in that whole scene? I think social arbitrage is probably too hard to explain to the people whose money they're investing so that it would be hard for them to Mm. run a fund that does that kind of you know, on a whim, we've decided to buy these kind of shares because we we thought we had some edge on the market. That would just be harder to justify in your prospectus. And so it's way easier to say, we track the S&P 500. We track the, what's uh, Portnoy's buzz thing? We, we track the uh, mm. social me- mention frequency of uh, what people were talking about 30 days ago. So, I mean, they have a system that's easier to explain in a prospectus, and that's... That's how, that's the reason I don't really invest in those funds other than I love the S&P 500 just as a, this is where I'm going to put cash that I don't, mm-hmm. that, that's my bank account. It's the S&P 500. Really? Yeah. That's my investment. <laughs> I'm putting that in there and being like, all right, this is money I'm locking away. And then I have a bank account. I can't imagine dumping money into the S&P and being like, that's my bank account. Do you know what I did with my, uh, all my retirement accounts? I put them in triple leveraged S&P 500. Because I figure long-term, long term, yeah. I mean, that's a terrible investment. I would never tell anyone to do that, but that's what I did. Because this is money that I am not planning to ever need. If I, if I need my retirement savings, something has gone wrong in my life. And if I ever hit that point, I'll, I'll quickly re, uh, restructure what's going on in those accounts. But to me, it's, that's like opportunity money that grows tax-free, that if I want to be able to blow it out, what better investment historically over the course of 10, mm-hmm. 20 years, what would do better than the S&P? The only yeah. thing I can think of would be a triple leverage. Then S&P. why don't you just do that throughout your entire portfolio? Just a hundred percent triple leveraged S&P. Don't touch it. I mean, that is something that I've given a lot of thought to. Like, could, would that beat me trying to individually choose things like Tesla? I wonder if it would. Why wouldn't you just go and put a million dollars in that and be like, that's my fund. I'm going to leave it. I'm not going to touch it. I had a half million dollars in that um, when the market started crashing. Mm-hmm. And that made me really nervous because a triple leverage yeah, fund does, would that go down does a like triple inverse. 60, too. 60%. Yeah. And, and the rule of percentages, once, once it's gone down, it takes twice as much to go back up. And so that's why... For a market crash situation, being in a triple leveraged is, you know, it's, it's death. You can't, you can't recover from it. Yeah. And so that, that was, uh, I was a little late to pull the ripcord on that and get Mm -hmm. out of it. Um, But it's, it has since recovered too. Yeah. I remember I was looking at uh, Jason Oppenheim's portfolio and he was invested in triple leveraged oil ETFs. And gosh, I can't imagine how much money that's gone up now. Oh Yeah. I remember looking back at him, I'm like, I, I can't believe you're buying this. This is crazy. He's like, no, a little bit fine. I'll do fine. The oil's got to come back. It's, <laughs> it's sure crazy. enough, I mean, yeah. he's right. But I was thinking like, but no, it's going to change the whole, like people aren't going to travel as much. But 
He's right. I mean, we're at a time where yeah. everything is just going up. Yes. They, we're going to hit a point where it isn't like that anymore. And I, that's when I think it's going to be like a rude awakening for a lot of people who are new to investing, where you can't just wait a week because it'll get better. If, I, I don't see it happening anytime soon, but that's what I'm worried about longer term. Like, when is that point? When is that? And you're not going to notice it. It's going to sneak up on you. Yeah. So I was actually telling Jack about this. He's never heard of the lost decade. Yeah. So now Charlie Munger was talking about over the next decade to expect lower returns. We're not going to see what we have been over the next 10 years, which I agree with him. I could see a time where the S&P 500 goes up, goes down, goes up, goes down and trades within a range of, I don't know, 900 points. Mm -hmm. And we're at the same point 10 years from now as we are today. I don't think that would be impossible. Yeah, I'd never heard of that. I'm what would you do in that situation? Sell covered calls. And you'd probably, yeah. And you would make and that's money. How you, would manage. Yeah. you would manage a, a sideways market yep. as, you know, try to make money going down and then appreciate going up. Yeah, I yeah. would sell puts ideally when it's at yeah. the lowest and then sell covered calls ideally yeah. once it's at the You're not going to be able to time it just right. right, but, you know, hopefully you would be able to outperform zero, which is what it could possibly do for 10 years. So the mm-hmm. goal would just be with time decay, utilizing that, to slowly just make the premium money and hopefully my stuff isn't called away from me and hopefully I'm not forced to buy anything by uh, by selling the put. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's why I love options. <laughs> I mean, that would work. And then you're also buying the dips and you're buying in over time. So it's going to average out. But yeah. Mm-hmm. What would you do? I don't know. I hope to never see that situation. But I... I feel like that would be so stressful that I would just want to just like not be in the stock market if it's just going sideways. I'd be done. You could just pull everything out if you wanted to and just yeah. sit on your yeah. money. Mm-hmm. I might do that. I don't know. Just the, the stress every day of having to worry. Oh, it's a, it's a down day. What's my strategy today? Oh, it's an up day. Is that what you do now? I, no, I try not to think about it. We, we talk on Dumb Money Live. Uh, we, we went weekly. We went from doing one a week to doing one a day. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that really had me probably making more trades than I should have. And so I'm pulling back and we're only doing three shows a week now, maybe two. Okay. Um, just because you can't make a good trade every day. It used to be in our whole social ARB thesis, you find one really good high conviction social ARB trade a year. Mm-hmm. And you might find two or three medium convictions a year. You can't find one every week. You can't find one every day. And so it's it's like weeding through and our, the Discord community is finding all these amazing ideas and trying to weed through and find ones that you believe in. That's that's kind of the challenge now. It's, there's so much information, so many opportunities, so many ideas that you can't invest in them all and you don't want to invest in them all, but there's so many good ideas that you kind of want to. So it's, it, it just comes down to like having some discipline and waiting for things that are truly, truly high conviction. And then having a little bit of fun with small amounts in the things that are medium and low conviction. What about Bitcoin? I think you just started investing in Bitcoin, didn't you? Um, you- I've had Bitcoin. Uh, I was buying Bitcoin at that all-time high back... When was that Thanksgiving when everyone was talking about it? 2017. I was buying and then just watching watching it go down. I was buying Bitcoin. I had um, a Binance account that mm-hmm. had some crazy weird coins in it. I don't know. I Basically, now I'm all Bitcoin and Ethereum, a 60-40 split. I love Bitcoin. It's going to 100000 
Uh, I should probably move more money over into it. I just can't mentally put my money in into it. I I, I don't know. I, I yeah, should. sure. I've been doing so far about five grand a week into Bitcoin. Are you? Uh, when it dropped the other week, I think I may have done like seventy five hundred. But just to balance everything out, because yeah. I I believe in it long term. I do too. Yeah. And so I feel like I have not had the discipline of taking money out of the stock market and putting it into Bitcoin, but I should. That's- it's so easy. I use Coinbase, mm-hmm. and it's so simple to just transfer money. It shows up instantly. I think you got to wait like two, three days for it to withdraw the money. It's so easy. It just shows up like instantaneously. You buy it instantly. It's so much easier than stocks to have yeah. to do that. The, the fee sucks. I'm sure there's a cheaper way of doing it, but it is what it is. It is easy. And I like that it's open on the weekends. And after, I was like, that- right now, <laughs> if you want to go and buy it, I, I think the stock market should be open 24-7. It, it should. I Actually, don't know there's why. No it's not. There's no reason. No. Other than old-timey stockbrokers didn't want to work 24-7. Right. Kevin that doesn't exist anymore. It yeah, but it should be. But it should be. It should always be going up and I mean, down. There's, there's I mean, a market open somewhere yes. around the world. Why not have our stocks also be available at all times? I would love That's that. That's a good question. I, I don't know. It could be just too stressful for people. Like, <laughs> I'm serious, though. Imagine having, like, millions in the market, like, doing some, like, you know, more gambly type investments. I guess, I okay, yeah. Sleep. It does give you the opportunity to sleep, you know. That's true. I didn't yeah. think of that. If just, like, after, you know, 1 p.m. here, all right, nothing's going to happen until 6.30 in the morning. Yeah. But does Bitcoin keep you up at night? Like, no. A Bitcoin but it's not that big no, holding, draw. right? Like... No, not no. I mean, I, if it dropped 50%, I mean, it just it is what it is. What is your percentage of your net worth allocated to Bitcoin? 2%. 2%. I need to get to 2%. That's my goal. Yeah. I'm going to do that. Uh, when you're watching this, Dave, later, just go, yeah. go do that. The funny thing is I invested one, uh, well, a little bit over one. I think I had like total investors like 1.3. That's, that's grown to two mm-hmm. in two months. I, I could see at some point this ending up at a million dollars a coin. I at, at some point, maybe like fifty years from now, maybe. It's it's. I think it's either going to be worthless or like a million bucks. <laughs> it's one or the other. And that was my uh, investment thesis in GameStop. Yeah, either going to be worthless or I'm going to quadruple my money. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm good with being in Bitcoin for the long term. Yeah, and I need to get more into it. How about this? Give us some stock tips before we wrap up. Tell Jack mm. what to invest in. I don't give stock tips. I don't have. What are you buying that like Jack can copy? Coinage terms or something like that. Like what's a a rule of thumb stuff like that stuff to live by as an investor. Huh. Um, I, buy low, sell high. No. <laughs> I, I I don't have like any. It changes every day. You just have to be listening, looking, finding opportunities, looking for things that you that you think you know that Wall Street doesn't know. That's that's what it's all about. And finding like a, a correlation to it's uh, cold in Texas, pipes are freezing, generators are going to be in demand. The electric power grid failed, batteries in Tesla and things like that. Um, it's, it's, it's just making those kind of connections when you have something that you see that maybe other people haven't yet connected to a stock trade. Every time there's a hurricane, the roofing companies go up. That's now predictable. But the first time there was a hurricane and the roofing companies all went up, nobody had thought about that. I respect your investing philosophy. You know what you're good at and you stick to what you know. 
Yeah. Like you don't have a big allocation in Bitcoin. You paid off your house, although maybe it didn't make complete sense. Maybe you should diversify a little bit. You know stocks and you continue to do stocks and you continue to do well. So that's good. It works. How about this? What stocks do you like? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'll tell you my biggest holdings for me and my risk tolerance. It's Tesla and Amazon and Apple. Those are my. But are you buying more of Tesla? Um, I wish I had the conviction to keep buying Tesla every time it goes down because you see that every time it goes down, it does come back up. But I just, to, for me to buy, because I don't have any other income, it means I have to sell something else. And I really like everything that I'm in right now. Couldn't you margin? I could go deeper into margin. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of at that threshold of, of there's so many good things that I want to be invested in right now that I'm, I'm at the point where I've margined about as much as I'm comfortable with. I'm at like maybe 20, 30% margin mm-hmm. right now. And I don't like to go that much deeper. Probably I'm a little too conservative for what I, for the returns that I would like, but it's, it's all a balancing act. Got it. I don't want to be that guy, but you could theoretically sell some puts on Tesla. If you wanted to pick a price that you were comfortable to buy it at, and if it didn't hit that price, you could get a little bit of income to then buy more Tesla shares. I, I could do that. And I've done that, and I probably should have been doing that when, instead of buying the dip, I should have been shorting the puts on the dip. Mm. I love the, the income thing. With like the whole <laughs> share. I got to try it. that at some point. Any question you may have. If I can't answer, I would I got to enable it on Schwab. I, Can I you do that online? Oh, or? Yeah, it's, it's easy. It's just really? like placing an order. Instead of buy to open, you do sell to open. It's, it's a drop down, right? Intro. I really, really want you to do options. All right. Investing. You know what? I'll pull up uh, my computer. We'll, we'll do one now. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Let's All do right. it. All right. Well, I, I mean, technically it's, you know, not during market hours. <laughs> right. But couldn't I just. You could do a market order tomorrow, but I don't know if that's something that you. Can't, well, can't we just do it now to, to open in the market open? I'm not a huge fan of like. You could put a limit order in. It's very complicated, but I, I wouldn't do anything like aftermarket or anything like that. I would realistically probably wait. You can do a limit order. It's not like you're going to lose a ton of money, but just to be a what? What are you talking investor. about? Like selling puts. So or if you sell it, so if you sell a put, you select a price and a date. So say your your price. That's called a strike price. Say your strike price for Tesla. What's Tesla at right now? Seven fifteen or something like that. Seven. I have no idea. I I don't really have any Tesla, so I'm not. Or what? No, no, sorry. I meant uh, like uh, doing the uh, the covered calls. You want to do a covered call? So a covered call is when you have the stock in your account and you're willing to sell it for a certain price Let's by a certain it. date. How do you do it on Schwab? Do you do this? Yeah. You option may have quote, to Which is under the strategy. The options. Where is that? Under strategy where your stock ETF right now. You have to apply yeah, for I options. Would just, yeah, yeah. You have to. Five to ten days for processing? You could do it on Robinhood instantly. Oh, God. You're going to fall in love with it. I promise you that, Graham. It's awesome. It's like it opens up all of these doorways in investing. It's like you can hedge your positions with options. You can leverage your positions with options. You can do so much more with options that you can't do when just buying common stock. So like if I wanted to sell this at, a, at market right now, it's yep. 98.39. Yep. I could just hit sell and sell it for 98.39. Or I can write a covered call for 98 and then I would be selling at 98, but then I would also be getting this $1.89. So you're going to get an extra $4,000 because you did this instead of just hitting the sell button. And then that's someone, say the stock goes up. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
to you know ninety nine dollars, someone's going to buy that if they have the option to buy it at ninety eight. If it goes down, say it goes down to ninety seven dollars, they're not going to buy it, and now you have four thousand dollars that you just get to that you get to use to offset your loss because you have the shares at that, and then you know they they depreciate. Your best case scenario is it stays at ninety eight, so you don't lose anything. You get to keep the two dollars, and that's kind of just like that's the best possible Mm -hmm. thing. If it goes up, you're losing out on it going above 98, but you're still getting that extra $2. And it's cool because you don't have to pick $98. You can pick $105. So that's out of the money. That means it's above the, you know, selling a covered call above the market value. So, and obviously premiums would be Mm. lower because the chances of it hitting that are lower. People are paying less to be able to buy it at that price. But But if you wanted to sell it at 105, if it ever hit that then you would only be getting, and this is not very volatile, you'd only be getting an extra 19 cents. Yeah, you get $366. To you, give have, a, you have to pay commission to do this, by the way. Oh, you do? It's All? not much. $13. They, they base it on the number of contracts. But in this case, oh, wow. you're only okay. actually losing money if the stock goes above $105 and what, 19 cents? Yes. Because you have 19 cents per Yeah. So if you, if you wanted to sell this at 105, if it ever hit 105, you could get an extra $400 for placing the order this way. But the downside is if it went to 110, you'd be like, oh, I just gave up $5 in exchange for 19 cents. Mm-hmm. You can so do I this every week. I don't really do Got that. It. You okay. make 400 bucks every single week until this goes up to 105. But obviously if it's a slow creep, you could just keep raising that up, 106, 107, yeah. wait, and then continually just make money hedging against your own position of shares. I might and experiment if you could, with if that. You yeah, could build a robot that did that for you. It would make it worthwhile. I there's so there's some options that the option chain is just like has an imbalance, and you can find like call writer like these secret underground chat rooms where people are saying, "Oh, this one's really out of whack," <laughs> and that is where you can actually make money if you have the time and you know for an extra five hundred dollars, you can spend an hour doing that. I, I use I did that for fun for a while and it was it just got to be too much you know too much mental overhead to uh, deal mm. with it depends on your strategy but though. you should definitely if you if you have like an extra hour per day to just go dig and try to find those imbalances in oh they're they're paying too much for these premiums and the uh, the stock this is this is a stock that you can do what it's called like a buy right where you buy the stock and write the call in the same transaction and you're guaranteed to make money unless it goes to a certain mm-hmm. threshold but there's enough premium built in so that you can get out before it hits that threshold that's there's so, so many strategies i know but the, the thing is it's so complicated but so easy it's a whole spectrum it's a whole you can dark place web that you don't want to go anywhere into. on <laughs> I, it's great yeah <laughs> i love it i want to try doing a few and we could do them together just maybe like i'll pick three stocks i'll sell them so out of the money mm-hmm. and uh just, just collect the income. premium just mm-hmm. try it a few times yeah see that's one way to do it you're probably not going to find it very worth your time the way that I love to do it is to pick a stock that's super volatile or say Wall Street Bets is hyping up a stock like Palantir or Tesla or anything like that. You know what they're doing. They're buying as many calls as they can on that. That's driving up demand. That's driving up premiums. So you can sell you know, covered calls on your shares for these exorbitant premiums. I mean, you could get like 20% in a month on some of these stocks sometimes. 20%. That's, that's unbelievable. I don't recommend it. I love it. I recommend it. But if you know what you're yeah. doing or if you're I've, very conservative yeah. with it. I've told Jack, it's like, uh, what is it? Picking up pennies in front of a steamroller. <laughs> that is exactly what it is. That's not what it is. And Jack's uh, like, no, it's so safe though. I'm like, that, yeah, but that's, that's if you're, you're writing naked call options. That would be picking up pennies in front of a steamroller. I don't think so. I don't know. From my very limited understanding of this, that's, that's my analogy that I've seen online. 
Fair enough. All right. Well, is there anything else you want to throw in here? Um, no. Do we want to talk about the uh, the money thing? Yes. So, how do we just tell me go right in it? Yep. So, dumb money. The original channel is about to hit a hundred thousand. By the time this is on, we will have hit a hundred thousand subscribers, and we've decided to basically give the channel away to the next generation of creators. We want to basically turn it into like a platform for people who don't have a big audience. Um, and so we're going to take submissions and basically hire three people, put them, give, give them a show on the dumb money channel. And we're going to not make content there. We're going to keep doing dumb money live mm-hmm. and then make the new, the old dumb money channel into something new. How do you find these people? Well, we're basically uh, kind of auditioning. So uh, anyone can, can make a video, tell us about your show idea. Tell us, you know, if you have some great idea or if you, if you've, already done a show or you're you're currently you know on youtube send us a link and we are going to uh narrow it down and pick three and give them a show how are the three of them all going to coordinate on one show it's not one show they each get their own show oh i see just so they it's, each it's post their episodes like a, and the, yeah yeah think, think of it like uh you know nbc has a bunch of shows on it and or cnbc has like fast money and mad mm-hmm. money and other kinds of money other kinds of money would be a good name so basically, yeah, it, it'll just be, and, and there'll be a reoccurring show. They'll, they'll do two episodes a week, and, you know, that'll fill up like a whole. Are you worried, though, that the audience is, like, not going to like one person, but maybe they kind of like another, and, like, the algorithm is all out of whack? I think the algorithm is all out of whack on that channel anyway, because we basically stopped making videos a year ago. Wouldn't it be discouraging to somebody who's like making better videos than the other two? And then it's like, well, I just posted a banger, but then like these other two knuckleheads, they, they (laughs) ruin my algorithm. So that by the time I post again, like fewer people are watching. It depends. Like if, if YouTube thinks about what you're looking for, you know, the whole thing about the algorithm is they're trying to find, what you want to watch, right? And if you have a playlist that has this type of video in one playlist and another type of video in another playlist, doesn't that like, I don't know. I feel like Kevin does live and recorded, Mm -hmm. right? And he's, I mean, people love him. So that's, that's why that works. But I feel like you don't maybe get as penalized if you have organized your content, I don't know. I, I think it's you're, like you're the expert. Buzzfeed, Cut, Jubilee, they all have that. But they, they have, have a different, structure. But they have different series. Like they have Within like a, the, I don't know. That's what yeah. it, will, it will essentially be three different series on a single channel. And each yeah. one will be its own title and its own, like they'll, they'll be, I don't know. Concrete did that. They were, they were a great channel and they had such good content. But they were originally doing Ben Mala videos. And they were doing like other documentaries and stuff. What ended up happening was that the Ben Mallow was so successful and nobody cared about the other stuff. And it hurt the channel to have like a really good Ben Mallow video. And then you'd have a documentary that, in my opinion, was an amazing documentary. It just wasn't that audience. And the audience that wanted Ben did not want the documentary. And it was discouraging, I think, uh, uh, for them to create this content because nobody wanted it. They just wanted more Ben. Well, it's almost like if you think about I come from the startup world. If you think about an incubator where it's basically putting money into a bunch of different projects and if one of them takes off, that's great. We want to launch the career of the next great YouTuber. And it doesn't have to continue to live on dumb money, but if they can find an audience there, they, they can they can grow from there. That's fair. So they so, can eventually go off and do their own thing yeah, whenever they want. Okay. It's, it's, it's basically, we're trying to 
we're trying to incentivize people to do this because we have fun doing it and we basically were not good at making money doing it. We just did it because we loved it. But um, if we can have people who are like really gung ho about making these uh, making content on mm. YouTube and we can give them the platform and we can give them, you know, production assistants and editors and, and a pay, basically pay them a $60,000 a year salary to be able to quit their job. If, if that's a, like, I wouldn't say anyone should just jump into YouTube, but if you've been wanting mm-hmm. to do it, but you just haven't been able to, because you know, you just can't afford to, right. This is, this is that little push. I feel like part of me, it just, it just feels like, uh, if you're going to do it on your own, you would. And there are so many weird learning curves that like, if you were to throw me into a hundred thousand, I would just drown. Because you're throwing me in a body of water that's just too deep for me to swim. But starting out your own channel and like growing that and figuring out like, oh, this works, this doesn't work, and learning. By the time you hit 100,000, then you're like, you're all prepared. Like you've been yeah. through it. Well, maybe we can help mentor them along the way. Maybe you could help mentor them. <laughs> I, I will help judge. How's that? That would be great. I'll help judge. Yeah. So we, we basically have set up an email address. You can uh, send a link to a YouTube video to get a show at dumbmoney.tv. I'll put it in the description. And uh, they, that's how we're basically taking submissions. Cool. Link down below in the description. So, cool. Anything else? All right, I think Thanks so much yeah, for coming you, on. Man. It, it, it really was, is. I mean, we met. Great. It was really nice to meet you. And uh, that was a great conversation. I loved we it. We were all over the map on this one. Good luck editing. Guys, let us know what you think of like this sort of style. This is one of the few videos where we didn't go in with the structure. And we just figured, well, we're just going to let it flow and have a conversation. I'm sure some people like it. Some people don't. But let us know what you think. If you think we should continue more of just like the free flow conversations, happy to do that. If not, we'll go back to a more structured approach. I think it's fair. I think it's fair. Cool. But regardless, you should smash one of the buttons. There's a thumb up or a thumb down. <laughs> just, just the thumbs up button. Whoa, there. Whoa. Whoa. As far as we're concerned, that other thumb button doesn't even exist. Just Hit register the, the fact that you heard us say this by hitting the thumbs up. Yes. And then leave a comment telling us what you think. Yes. Mm. Yeah. Sounds great. Also, don't forget to subscribe. It's totally free to do, and you get a brand new video from us every single Sunday. If you hit the notification bell, you could be the first one to comment on the video, and Jack responds to, like, almost all of the comments, especially in the first, like, hour or two. So make sure you do that. Thank you guys so much for watching. We have all of the links down below in the description. You can get two free stocks, too, uh, worth up to $1,850. And uh, that's it. Thank you. Anything else? That's it. Cool. Thanks so much. See We're you guys. Money. We'll see you next time. If I did slow down on the main channel, I would double down on the podcast. That's what really? Really? What about the second channel? Uh, there's only so much if you could react to. I, the podcast, I think, is unique. So we are in the 45th ever, right? I, I have no idea. <laughs> we, we have no idea. They're we, completely unprepared for this. Yeah, we've mismatched a few episodes. Like, we filmed some way ahead of time that we're now posting. So, welcome, is, to, welcome the to the 44th ever, ever episode of the Iced Coffee Hour. My name is Dave, if you want to say Dave from Dumb Money. And so far, the podcast has made 48379 How's this? That's perfect, mm-hmm. yeah. Go on. All right. Go for it. Your name is Graham. Okay, nice. <laughs>